All right, good morning, everybody. So I'm guessing this is not exactly the church service that we thought we were going to be coming into today. Um, it's not something we are going to usually be prepared for to hear, especially with Kevin being on sabbatical. And, um, you know, wow, like there's a resignation that's happening. It's kind of like you can hit us hard sometimes, even surprise us. But there's something amazing that is happening here. And it starts 2,000 years ago. So we're in, we're in our series of Romans today, and we're actually finishing Romans. We're, uh, we're in our final chapters. We've been in Romans. We've been in this wonderful journey for a long time. But this book was written almost 2,000 years ago, this letter that Paul wrote 2,000 years ago. And this is why I think that this is so amazing, how God is so amazing. Because, yeah, this is surprise news for us, but it is not a surprise for God. And the reason I know that is because we had this planned, this to end Romans today. This message was already prepared for today because the letter was already inspired by God a long time ago. Not just for those who were receiving it when Paul wrote it, but for us today. And why do I know that? Why is this so important? Why is this showing that God is not surprised? Our title for today, the, message is, the message's title today is, It's All About Unity. Romans ends on unity. And here we are, we're here, and, 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 and I get it. You know, it's like, well, why did Joseph resign? Well, you know, what's, what's going on here? Like, we all feel that inside. Yet God is here to encourage us and say, you know what? We are still brothers and sisters in Christ. Joseph is moving on to another place where God is calling him to go. And we are still unified. We are still one. He is still our brother in Christ. We are still his brothers and sisters in Christ. And God wants us to really lean into that today. Not because we have said, oh, we need a new message. No, this message, like I said, was already planned out because we are taking it right from Scripture. That we're going to be talking about how we are unified, how we are together and all this. And, and that, to me, is just awesome. I love how God works these things out. I couldn't believe it when I was looking over my notes. I'm like, how in the world, God, did you know this? Why am I, I was talking with uh, Spence Wyman, and we were like, why are we always surprised by God? I mean, he's God. He's amazing. But yet it is wonderful that we are still surprised by him. And he's surprising us even today. And I know that what he's going to be doing for Joseph and what he's going to be doing for this church is going to be part of his plan and is going to be so, so good. But it amazes me as I think about all that we've gone through in Romans. It amazes me how we've gone through so much. Paul talks about so much in Romans. I mean, we, we, we start in the very beginning where Paul is going deep into sin, but then after that he's talking really deep about grace and how grace is greater than sin. And then he talk, we, we've talked about themes of predestination. We've talked about themes of free will. He covers spiritual gifts. He covers so much. And you would think that when he is writing a letter... Anybody who wants to write a letter, and a really good letter, whatever your strongest point is, that's what you want to wrap up with, right? You want to, you want to say, all right, I want to remind you that this is what we're talking about here, that this is what I really want to drive home. And I think that is what Paul does when he talks about unity. 
Sometimes we, we, we don't even realize that that's what he's talking about because it's, it's almost very subtle. But when you, when you break it down and you look through the text, you realize, yeah, this is the strongest part of his message is that we are supposed to be a unified church. We are supposed to be a unified people. And Jesus even talks about this in a very, another very subtle verse that you may have heard often, but it can get misinterpreted. And that's John 14, 12. Jesus says, if you believe in me, you will go do the works that I am doing, and you will even go and do greater works than this. And we look at that verse, and it's like, how in the world, one, how am I supposed to be able to do the works that Jesus has done? There's no way. You hang me up on a cross, I'm not saving anybody from their sins. That just is not going to work. That's not going to happen. Only Jesus can do that. And second, how can there possibly be a greater work than what Jesus did on the cross, right? There's nothing greater than that. That is the ultimate power move right there in which sin and death are defeated. Yet when he says, you will go on and do greater things than this, he's not saying Steve will go and do greater things. He's not saying Jack will do greater things. He, he's not saying that Eden will do greater things. He's saying you, us. All of us combined will go and do greater things. Jesus' earthly ministry was, was contained to just three and a half years in the Palestinian area. And it was an amazing ministry. But now with the Holy Spirit working in all believers and all followers of Jesus, now his word and his name is able to go out to the ends of the earth. But that only happens when we are unified, when we are together. Now, unity is not always easy, but Paul has spread all throughout Romans and all throughout his letters this theme of unity. He says all the time, be of one mind, be of the same mind. And he gives us lots of tips, especially in the book of Romans. So let's look a little bit about, at what he has to say. He has a lot. We're going to go through a bunch of them, and then I encourage you to go back and read Romans with this idea of unity and see what the Holy Spirit reveals to you. But if you would, let's go to Romans chapter 16. We're actually going to start in Romans chapter 16, then we're going to work our way back a little bit. Romans, you can go to your glossary, you can find Romans there. Romans is uh, our sixth book in the New Testament. You go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then you are at Romans. So I'm going to read here. We're going to read this interesting last part, which kind of seems boring in some ways. But there's a lot to be revealed here. I'm going to start at 16, verse 3. Paul says, Give my greetings to Prisca and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life. Not only do I thank them, but so do all the Gentile preachers, or Gentile churches. Greet also the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend Apinatus, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow countrymen and fellow prisoners. They are noteworthy in the eyes of the apostles, and they were also in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Statues. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow countrymen. Greet those who belong to the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphenea and Tryphosa, who have worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother and mind. Greet Asyncritus, Phlygon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send you greetings. 
list of names, list of strange names. What are we supposed to do with this, right? How are we even supposed to put a sermon together? It's just his greetings. But the thing that's interesting here, first, Paul has not even been to Rome yet, and yet he is giving greetings to a bunch of people and a bunch of very different people. And I think that's what's really interesting. When we start to understand who these people were, it really opens our eyes to see why God values unity so much. So first we have here Prisca and Aquila. If you're reading your Bible, it might say Priscilla and Aquila. They're the same person. They're Jewish believers. And they are ones who they actually made tents with Paul. Paul had connected with them after they had been kicked out of Rome by the emperor who was blaming the Jewish people and the Jewish Christians for fires that had been uh, uh, burning at that time. I think that's the way it goes. My history might be a little bit off on that. Spencer Bragg can correct me on that one. But anyway, the Jewish believers or the Jews were being kicked out of Rome. That's why they're not there. And they meet with Paul and, they're, and they start ministering together. But they are Jewish. And most theologians also believe that since they did some traveling, they most likely had some wealth to them. They, they had some substantial means which allowed them to move around a bit. So we've got some Jewish, uh, Jewish believers here who are also a little well off. Now we also have another name here. It's just hit real quickly. What's the name Rufus? Now Rufus, many also believe that the reason that he's just said Rufus is because everyone knew who Rufus was. And it's because Rufus's father was most likely Simon of Cyrene. Simon of Cyrene is the one who carried Jesus' cross. After he had stumbled a number of times, the Roman guards, they found Simon. They said, you've got to carry his cross the rest of the way. And he carried the cross up to Golgotha for Jesus. So imagine, dude, check out my dad. Like, you could compare it this way. I remember hearing a comedian, he's, um, uh, he was talking like about going in and being very impressive and meet somebody who's like, what's your dad do? He's like, my dad's an astronaut. It's like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Like, well, how can you really top that? Well, my dad carried Jesus' cross. I'm sorry, I don't care. Astronauts are amazing. You carry Jesus' cross. I don't think there's anything greater than that right there. That is awesome. That is a mic drop in any situation when you're meeting people. So Rufus if, this is, if that is really the case, he's a rock star right there. Everyone knows Rufus. And, and Priscilla and Aquila, you know, people want to hang out with them. People want to get to know them because, you know, they've got the money. They've got the means. You might want to, like, cozy up next to them, right? But look at some of these other names. We have Amplius, Urbanus, Statues, Apelles. These are Gentile names. They are Roman names. Now, one of the things that we learned when we started in Romans here is that one of the reasons that Paul wrote this letter is because there was strife between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers, the Roman believers. They weren't getting along. They had different cultural backgrounds. They had different ways that they had found faith in Jesus. I mean, think about it. Rome was also conquering Israel. So there was animosity there. Yet Paul is urging them to be together. So he is writing, he's sending greetings to both Jewish believers and Roman believers, but it gets even better. These names here that I just mentioned, Amplius or Banus and some of these other ones, those are common Roman slave names. So Paul has just written, uh, just written, that's not a word, <laughs> just written saying hello to Rufus, like one of the biggest rock stars in, the, in the, the believer's faith at that time, has written to Priscilla and Aquila, his close friends and people who've got the dough, 
And he's also writing to slaves. And he's writing them, writing to them in all the same way. He is sending them all greetings. And he ends saying, greet each other with a holy kiss. If you were here last week and you heard Missaker speaking, you remember his uh, time in the church in Indiana in which they interpreted greeting each other with a holy kiss as everyone kiss each other on the lips. We're not going to practice that here, I promise. But that was a strong, important greeting for the culture. And he is saying, you guys, don't, all right, Jewish believers, don't just greet Jewish believers with a holy kiss. Gentile believers, just greet Gentile believers with a holy kiss. All of you guys together, I'm greeting you the same. Greet each other the same. Because you are the same. And you need to be unified in that sameness. Paul emphasizes that that sameness when he says these words in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 20 through 24. Because he's emphasizing that we need to see that we are the same. And he says this here. Each person should remain in the life situation in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? It It should not be a concern to you. But if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each person should remain with God in whatever situation he was called. Paul is plain and simply painting this picture. He's like, listen, if you're a slave, you've been freed by the blood of Jesus. And if you're already free, then Christ paid a price for you, which means you're a slave of Christ. He's basically reversed the roles right there, but his main point is that you're the same. You're the same in the eyes of Jesus Christ because he didn't pay with more blood for those who had more money. He didn't pay for less blood for the, for the slaves. He didn't pay for even more blood for Rufus because he's awesome. It was the same blood shed. It was the same price for every person. And that is the same for us today. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, rich or poor, whatever country or culture you come from. The blood of Jesus is for everyone. And when we see that, that creates unity. Because we're able to look left and look right and say, you're the same. You're the same as me. Because Jesus paid for you, just like he paid for me. That is awesome. That is unity right there. But we know unity is not easy. We wish it would be. It wasn't easy back then, and we know it's not easy now. We see a world that is divided. We see a church that is divided. We see it you know, between denominations, and we do even see it here at times. We're not going to kid ourselves. There are times where we just don't get along with each other. It doesn't mean it's okay, but we should work at that. Because our unity or our disunity is going to be our testimony of God's love to the world. Let's see some of the tips that Paul gives us as we go through what's left of Romans here. We're actually going to start outside of 15. I'm going to go to Romans 12, 18 briefly to start with this, first, this uh, next tip here. And this next tip is don't focus on the other guy. Romans 12, 18, Paul says this. He says, as much as it depends upon you, Live at peace with one another. Live at peace with all man. As much as it depends upon you. Not him. Not her. You. He's saying plain and simple. You have to do your part. Maybe they're a complete jerk. 
you still have to live at peace with them because that is the peace that honors Jesus and brings glory to his name. Jesus says this in his, um, in a, when he's giving his Sermon on the Mount. He says, you know what? Uh, I'm just paraphrasing right here. But he, he says, even the, the sinners and the tax collectors greet each other, love each other. So what's the big deal if you're doing that? Everybody does that. You need to be even above that. You need to be willing to greet. You need to be willing to love even when others are not loving you, even when others are not making it easy as much as it depends upon you. Be at peace. Be unified. See, I think what happens often is it's a lot easier for us to say, see, see, look what they did. Look what they did to me. It's a lot harder to say, what was my part in this? And that's what Jesus challenges us. He says, if you have a grievance against a brother, then you need to leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled to him or be reconciled to her. He's basically saying, don't come in and, and worship being like everything's great and lifting up your hands when in the meantime, you've got this animosity in your heart. Deal with it. Be humble. Hold on to unity because that will be our testimony to this world. The next one that Paul gives us here, Romans 15, 2, is edification. Get back to Romans. Paul says here, Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us must please his neighbor for his good to build him up. That's what it means to edify, is to build one another up. But the beautiful thing here is Paul is talking about our weaknesses, and our strengths. First, he was encouraging the Jewish and, the, and the, the Roman believers, saying, hey, some of you guys think that you're stronger than the other just by the nature of your, of your faith. You can't look at that. You need to fill the gap, and you need to be willing to have those gaps filled. We all have weaknesses. None of us here are perfect. But where I have weaknesses, someone else has strength. And that is how God has unified us. That is what it means to be having spiritual gifts. Paul says that we have been given spiritual gifts to edify the body. Not to say how great I am, but so that we can see how we work together, how we complement each other, and that brings glory to the name of Jesus. Where I am weak, he is strong. But where I am also weak, someone else here is strong and is picking me up. We're going to see a little example of that when we, when we end uh, this message today. But we need to be willing to embrace our weakness and say, yeah, I'm weak. But somebody else is strong for me. And I am so thankful for that. We need also to seek God's help to be unified. In Romans 15, 5, Paul says this. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement allow you to live in harmony with one another according to the command of Christ Jesus. The God of endurance and encouragement. I love this one. I don't always think about how my God is my endurance and my encouragement. When it comes to holding unity, holding on to unity, man, do we need some, um, some encouraging. Man, do we, do we need some endurance? And I'll use, I'll, I'll use marriage as an example. And I'm going to use myself in this example so I don't get in trouble because my family just showed up and they'll call me out on it, but... I'll tell you, there are days where I wake up and I open my eyes and I'm like, it's going to be one of those days. 
You know what I'm talking about. You just have, you know you're going to have a bad day. You don't know what it is. You didn't get some good sleep. You had a bad dream. You just, like, you can't explain it, but you know you're just going to be miserable. Well, there are times I see my, I see a grin on my daughter already. Yeah, it happens. I wake up and I'm just not feeling it. Well, I can only imagine how my wonderful wife feels when she wakes up. She's like, hey, good morning, honey. I was like, oh, it's going to be one of those days, huh? She needs some endurance. And she has it. I mean, she definitely has it because she strives with me. And I don't always make it easy. And when we don't agree with people, when we are meeting somebody who has different points of view from ours, different beliefs than ours, especially in politics these days, it takes a lot of endurance to be able to be unified with that person. And let me tell you, we have got to be unified there. Because, and, I, and, and I will speak directly to this one. There is no political point of view that should divide a church because Jesus is not political. Jesus is Lord, far behind all of our divisions. But he wants us to be able to be unified even within our differences. He wants us to be unified when somebody has a different point of view. He wants us to be unified when you think that you are right all the time. You're not. But it takes just as much endurance to put up with you as you think that you need endurance to put up with the person who is opposite of you. Now, why do we need this? It moves on in verse 6. So that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with a united mind and voice. Unity in this verse, or, or in this case, harmony, is one of our greatest forms of worship that we can offer God. That's right. Unity is worship. Think of it this way. You come... And, you're, and we're singing songs. We're singing, praise God from whom all blessings throw, uh, flow. And we're loving it. You know, on our lips, we're singing these songs. We even have our hands raised. But inside, we're like, oh, she's singing again. I can't stand that she sings so loud. I can't stand hearing her voice. What kind of worship is that to God? In your own self, you are divided. And then if you come and you come fighting, and then you sit down and you're, and you're praising God together, but in the meantime, you're like, man, I just can't wait to get back to it when we get in the car. I'm going to show her that she's wrong. I wasn't talking to you, hon. I promise. We, we came in separate cars. We're good. Okay. <laughs> but what kind of worship is that? Your heart is divided. The church is divided. God deserves pure and unadulterated worship. And I want you to hear me very clearly here. I am not saying in the least that you have to be perfect to come to church. No, church is a hospital. Church is for the broken because there is no one here who comes complete because we, are all, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But if you are coming with those grievances, if you are coming and you have gotten an offense towards somebody or somebody has offended you, man, this is a great place to work it out. That is why we have prayer now, and we encourage you to make this your altar where you can come and lay it down so that you can lift your hands and worship. And if you've ever been that, in that spot where you have been lifting your hands, but your heart is heavy because you're upset about something, but then you've been freed of that, you know exactly what I'm talking about, how wonderful it feels to enter into God's presence to worship him when that weight of disunity, when that weight of fighting and arguing with somebody has been lifted. But you've got to make the efforts. Romans 15, 7. 
receive one another. Therefore, accept one another just as the Messiah also accepted you to the glory of God. This goes back to what we said of the Jewish believers accepting the Roman believers and the Roman believers accepting the Jewish believers. The weaker believers accepting the stronger believers and the stronger believers accepting the weaker believers. But I look at it in this case. We do have a lot of different styles of church, but still one God. So I put it to us this way. Can we, who are not Pentecostal, worship with a Pentecostal church and vice versa? I should sure hope so. It's not up to us to decide whether they're worshiping right or wrong. It's up to us, like we said, look at yourself. It's up to us to worship God. They're going to worship God in the way that God has called them to worship as well. Can those who believe in Calvinistic predestination study the Bible together with those who believe in Armenian free will? Yeah. Kevin even talked about that a few weeks ago when he touched on, we had a message on predestination followed almost by a a message on free will because guess what? Romans touches on both. It's not about putting together a doctrine outside the Bible. It's about letting the Bible breathe. Or how about this one right here? Can we still worship together when our musical preferences coexist? Can Can our musical preferences coexist and still worship together? Can we worship together when someone likes the music loud? And someone likes it quiet. Can we worship together when someone likes to rock with worship? When someone else likes hymns? I'm going to tell you a little something about me. When it's my turn to preach, I don't listen to worship music. I blast my ears off. I I, I kid you not. I got some heavy rock going because I'm just getting excited. Like, it's just getting me pumped up. It's helped me to break the nerves and things like that, you know. That's just me. And that's different from a lot of other people, but you know what? That's okay. Can we worship in different styles and still be worshiping together? I sure hope so, because guess what? That's what heaven's going to look like, guys. There's going to be a lot of diversity up there. Romans 15, 15, moving up to this one, the next tip that Paul gives us. And this is an important one here. It's be bold in conviction. Nevertheless, I have written to remind you more boldly on some points because of the grace given me by God. This is important here because I could hear someone possibly saying, wait a second, I hear you talking all about this unity, but it almost sounds like you're preaching universalism here, Stephen, and I'm not jiving with that. Universalism being that like all paths get to God, all religions are okay. And I want to tell you right now, I am not preaching that right here. I'm talking about being unified despite the fact that we have differences. And that's why it's important that we are bold in conviction. Paul was very bold in his words. In Romans 1 and Romans 2, he really lays it out. He is saying, you know what? There are people who have, they have traded God for idols. They have traded God for their own sexual depravity. And God has said, all right, if that's what you want, then you can have it. I am still going to be who I am despite what you want. And Paul is laying that out right there. He is bold in his letter, but he is also just as bold that grace is greater than sin. We need to be bold in our convictions while we are being unified. And what that means is, for me, I will absolutely be more than happy to have a conversation with someone who doesn't have the same beliefs as me. I will be more than happy to go see a movie with someone who, uh, you know, has a different sexual preference than me. I'm okay 
with all of those kinds of things. I will hang out with you. I will talk with you. I will love with you. But I will not move away from the word of God. That is my line right there. And I am standing on that. And that is what we need to be willing to do. And when the outside world sees that, they are seeing the love of God. But they're also seeing who God really is. We are not in the business of making God in our own image. God has his image, and we need to stick with it. That is what it means to be bold in conviction, but at the same time still being loving in unity. Romans 16, 3, I want to go back to this one. This one is really neat. Synergy. Give my greetings to Prisca and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. Boy, does that sound real simple. But the word co-worker is better translated to fellow workers. And the Greek for fellow worker is the word synergis. Where we get our word synergy from. What is synergy? So I looked at the definition. It says this. Synergy is the interaction or cooperation of two or more organizations, substances, and other agents to produce a combined effect greater than their sum of their separate effects. Wow. Paul is saying that when he was with Prisca and Aquila, that they had synergy, that they were working for something greater than they could when they were separated. That's exactly what John 14, 12 was about. When we are together, when we are unified for the name of Jesus Christ, something greater is going to happen. We have synergy. Paul and Prisca and Aquila, they were not having synergy because of the fact that they made tents together. They weren't all in on, hey, we make the best tents, we make the most blackout, best blackout tents, the best waterproof tents, and that's why we're doing such great work. No, they were, they were united for the sake of the gospel. They lifted each other up. Paul being beaten and stoned and bruised and has friends that are able to bear his burdens together, maybe even help clean his wounds. They could encourage each other. They could lift each other up. I, I think of it this way. Years ago, uh, when I was, uh, I was at a youth convention in Pennsylvania, and the speaker was talking to the students about going out and sharing your faith in school. And he was, and he was talking about because it's a scary thing to do. It was scary then, it's scary today for them, but still so needed. And, and he's saying, and he's just kind of painting this picture. He's like, you know, like a kid goes up, he's like, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. And he's all like, you know, he's all by himself and everything and, and, and worried. And, you know, he just gets laughed at because he's, like, he's just standing there by himself. He said, no, that's not what you're supposed to go and do when you're in school, guys. You need to first understand that you're not the only Christian that's in school. You need to go, need to go find each other and you need to be a pack of wolves. You need to be a pack of wolves in that school. And, you, and that way, when you go, you go with the authority of Jesus, the love of Jesus. But you're like, hey, I need to talk to you. And the guy's like, what? Like, no, I'm not, not about that. I'm not mad at you. I need to talk to you about Jesus. And you're able to talk with that sense of authority because you've got your wolf pack behind you. You've got synergy. You've got a group that is all united for something greater that can happen. That is exactly what Paul and Priscilla and Aquila were doing. And because of what they were doing, the name of Jesus, their unity made the name of Jesus famous. Their synergy brought more people into the saving grace of God, and our synergy can do the same thing. It's what God wants us to be as a church. So we're getting to the end here. I want to I jump out of Romans. I want to jump into an important verse 
that Jesus says himself. And this is a verse that we've all heard many times, and this is John 13, 34 to 35. And I want to ask Jamie to come on up as well as we uh, get to the end here. Jesus says this, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I gotta be honest here. And please hear my whole thought here. I thought Jesus got it wrong in these verses. I know, he's God, I'm not. Of course he didn't get it wrong. But I read it and I'm like, that doesn't, that doesn't seem to make sense to me. He's saying, as long as we love each other, then they're going to know that we're Christians. Shouldn't it be that as we love the world, that they'll know that we're Christians and they'll know his love? But then I started to realize what he was really getting at. And the point is this. We tend to make it easy or almost programmable to go out and love the world. We do it on missions trips and service projects. And let me tell you, sometimes it can be really fake. Because like we'll only go and like, oh, we love you and everything as long as we're like, you know, on a program trip. But it's how we love each other. When they see that we are really unified, when they see how much we care for each other, that speaks to the world. And right now, that's not really speaking to the world. The world is seeing a church disunified in so many ways by our denominations and so forth. But at least in here, we can be unified. I've asked Jamie to do a little song, not, not as worship in this sense, but actually as part of my message, part of our message here, sorry. And the reason I want to do this, because I, I just want to get real for a second. I want to tell you something. I drive this guy nuts. I drive him nuts. I'll tell you something else. He drives me nuts. We are different. We are very different from each other. And I am so thankful for that. I am really thankful for that. And there's a song that I have asked him to play that we can reflect on. And this goes back to the weakness and strength. I can't play it. I can't do it. But he's going to bring something that I cannot bring in this message. And that's the way God has made it. And I love Jamie. I love that we get to work together. I love that we get to, as, as the Proverbs say, that iron sharpens iron. That we get to work on each other. We even get to, we, you know, we rub each other the wrong way at times, but we are willing to work on the unity part and say, you know what? That's all part of just growing together. That's all part of being brothers. Brothers wrestle. Brothers fight. Brothers break each other's arms and give bloody noses on occasion. I'm not going to do that today. Later, later, okay? Later. But that's what unity is really all about. So I want to challenge us today. I want you to take a moment and think about this song that Jamie is going to play. And think about your own unity. Do you have a grievance with someone here? Are you struggling in an area of unity? Now's the time to work on that. Because out there needs to see the love of God through the unity that we have together.